0: Hey, I'm glad to be here. If you're visiting with us, I'd love to meet you. We have so many exciting things happening. I've been out for a couple of weeks on vacation and studying, and where I was was a lot cooler than here, and you guys seem cranky, quite frankly. And... Uh You'll get over it. So, hey, I want to say one of the most exciting things that we've been working on for the last year is establishing a fourth campus. And some of you know about this, but uh, we've been raising money and trying to establish a fourth campus. We have a campus in Missouri City. We have a campus downtown in, uh, in, in Shepherd of Washington and, of course, the Richmond campus here. But we wanted to do something kind of special, and we finally, it took so much bureaucratic red tape to get through, but we finally established our fourth campus at the Ramsey Unit down at the Texas Department of Corrections in Rocheren. Uh, so, um, those men, hey, men, man, we're so excited. We had 80 guys at the Ramsey unit come to services the last couple of weeks. And the good news is, too, we have 621 inmate, inmates subscribing to our app so they can get our resources and our, our, some of our information. Some families are starting to come here to one of our campuses. And we're just so excited. So men of the Ramsey unit, we want you to know that we're praying for you, that we're rooting for you, that we're your cheerleaders. You can count on us. We're so glad you're part of the River Point and West End family. Let's give them another big hand, huh? Now, it's good to clap for that. So everybody that claps is a volunteer. Perfect. So uh, uh, some of you have never been to prison. You need to go. And... uh it's a great experience. As you know, men of the Ramsey, you may not know this, but I was raised on a prison farm, federal farm in Fort Worth. My dad was a warden of a federal penitentiary, and uh, so we, we lived there. So this is close to my heart. We know that uh, this is uh, something special in God's eyes that we can do and we can partner with and learn from each other, and so we're excited. So if you'd like to volunteer, come see me or Terrace or somebody. We'll connect you in. We have services down there on Saturday night. So we're good. Hey, we're, I want to say hi to my mom. She always watches online. We have people all over the world watching, like Becky and Steve up in Linden, Washington. They watch me every week. And then we have people like Dini who has had cataract surgery in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I found out about that. So, Deanie, I'm praying for you and uh, all the folks that are watching online, thanks for tuning in. Hey, well, listen, we're looking at a new series on uh, Ruth, but before we get to that, I want to tell you one grandparent thing, okay? Can I do that? (laughs) So fun. So I went on a little vacation with my grandchildren. I have Bo, who's about six, and I have Ella, who's four, and um, their grandmother, my wife, Lisa, who they call Sugar, bought them walkie-talkies okay so i love walkie talkies this you're going to hate this story anyway so so they bought walkie talkies and uh so my my son Keaton his father and Bo came up with call signs right so they came up with big bird for my son Keaton and little bird for Bo are y'all following me along it's like y'all showing you my vacation show or something anyway but anyway, so they bought the walkie talkies so Keaton tells his son Bo hey take the walkie-talkie and go around the corner out of sight down the hall and I'll call you and we'll talk on the walkie-talkie. So Bo's excited. So he gets his walkie-talkie. Then he goes down the hall and Keaton goes, little bird, come in. Nothing. <laughs> little bird, little bird, come in. Nothing. A minute later, Bo walks around the corner and Keaton goes, no, no, you, pu- you pushed a button. And you talk, and I'll talk to you. So go back. So he walks back down the hall and there Keaton does it again. Little bird, little bird, big bird, come in. Nothing. <laughs> it's like you didn't get it. Little bird, come in. Second later, Bo walks across, walks into the living room. And Keaton goes, no, no, I mean, I'm talking to him. He goes, well, quit telling me to come in. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> One of the smarter Kellys, uh, yeah. Quit, quit telling me to come in. Come in. So great. Anyway. Uh, stuff like that makes me happy. I don't know why. So great. Come in. So <laughs> Give me a second. That's <laughs> so funny. He just walks in and like, well, quit telling me to come in. Good. Anyway such a compliant child. Anyway, so we're talking about Ruth. And Ruth is a unique book in the Bible because it's written from a woman's perspective. And you're going to see so many unique things. Here's your homework if you decide to take it. Get yourself a Bible and read the book of Ruth. It's four chapters, so just read along. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look in the Bible, in, in the story of Ruth, and I want you to find yourself in the story. You're in there. You're in there. Your life's in there. Your, 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 your story's in there connect with this story. Because what is going to happen is you're going to learn how God deals with his people, and he's gonna, you're going to learn how good God is. And this woman's perspective is just an amazing idea of how God works with us all. It's really an amazing story. And so I wanted to bring it back to you. And so that's your homework if you decide to take it, is read the book of Ruth. Let me get it started, and we'll get, get kind of unfold the history as it goes along. In chapter one, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. It goes on. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two children were Malion and Killian, And they were Ephrodites from Bethlehem. This is all going to be on the test. Are you all paying attention? (laughs) Okay, from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab, and they lived there. Now, the, the, the writer of the story kind of gives us a brief history, just very big synopsis, but here's what I want you to get on this. is These are Israelites, God's chosen people, the children of God living in the promised land. They lived in a place called Bethlehem, which is The the name for Bethlehem is the house of bread. So a famine in the house of bread was quite ironic. But this is kind of what happened with God's people. God would bless his people. This is what happens to us too, by the way. God would bless his people. And the people would then be blessed and then begin to wander off. I don't know why they did that, but they wandered off. They began to do all kinds of crazy things in their blessing. So God would bring correction many different ways, but he'd bring correction. And the people would typically turn back to God, repent, and come back to God, come back to their faith, come back to their, their practice, and God would then begin to bless them and then they would begin to wander off. And that's kind of what was happening here is that there was this great famine in the land and... and, and um, and and the people didn't know what to do, so they began to move, change their address. Now, this is kind of an interesting story because this is where God's people in God's land, and they were following God, who God always provided for generations and generations. But the period of time that they were in was called the period of the judges. It was a 400-year period before King David where God's people were ruled by judges, okay? Okay. And the last book, uh, the last chapter, the last verse in the book of Judges, which is right before Ruth, the book of Ruth, says this. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, this seems reasonable. I mean, really, this seems like what else could we do but what we think is right, right? And so Elimelech did that. He, he just said, well, we're hungry here. There ain't no food here. I heard there going to have food in Moab, and so they moved to Moab. But listen, let me tell you this. You need to hear this. God, I'm hyped up on coffee. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. Doing what you think is right in your own eyes typically leads to trouble. I know everybody says, go with your gut. Do not go with your gut. You need more wisdom than that. Doing what you think is right in your own eyes is typically chasing a desire, an appetite, or a hunger, an ambition, and God doesn't typically factor into any of that. All of a sudden, Elimelech took matters in his own hands. He did what was right in his own eyes, and I can't blame him. I might do the same. I would do the same thing. Let's move to Moab. Let's move out of God's promised land as God's people and move to a foreign land who worship a foreign god. Now listen, difficulty is the offer opportunity for you and I to grow in our faith and with each other. Nothing shows us our limitations better than difficulty. Now I'm not blaming the because you and I would do the same thing. And a lot of times what happens when we're, when we're in trouble is we just want to change our environment. We want to change our circumstances. And we have this imagination that says that it's going to be better over there. That's what Elimelech thinks. He thought, well, man, I'll tell you, there ain't no food here. I hear there's food in Moab. Let's move to Moab just for a little while. Then we'll move back. That's kind of what his thinking was. He planned to return one day, but you cannot predict the future. Look what happens when they move to Moab. Here we go. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, he died. (laughs) Terrible story. It gets worse. Okay. And she was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women, which was prohibited. One of the reasons he wanted God's people to be with God's people, that thing, don't marry outside of God's people because they worship false gods, all this, well, they married these Moabite women. And one of the name was Orpah, and the other one was Ruth. And he goes on, here's where it gets worse. And after they lived there about 10 years, both Maon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So here, now listen, we don't really get a grip for this, but let me just help you. Being a widow in a foreign land is a horrible, awful situation. Being a widow in that century, this is about 3,000 years ago. 3,000 years ago, being a widow meant you were left to a destitute uh, future, no money. You're probably led into prostitution or something awful is going to happen to you. It was really the lowest part of the social standing. It was an awful place. You can imagine Naomi, a foreigner in a foreign land with no husband to help her, to help her protect her. No children, her, her children, her sons, they also died. Talk about going from bad to worse. So here's one of the lessons we're going to learn from Ruth today. Here it is. Ready? Here it is. Uh, we're not good about predicting the future. We're just not good at it. Only God sees tomorrow. And you and I are terrible at predicting. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And so be careful. Have you ever said this? I've said this. Well, it couldn't get any worse. Oh, yes, It could. Really, it could get a lot of worse. Here's another question. Now listen, when Elimelech moved, that was reasonable. He did what was right in his own eyes. But we see no story in here about he sought God's advice, or he sought wise counsel, or he asked. I mean, he didn't stay put and see if God would come for him. He didn't reach out to God. He just took matters in his own hand. This is what I'm so guilty of. And he changed his environment. So the question is, because I know some of you are going through some difficult times. You have a really bad job or a bad marriage or a bad life in some way, you just want to change your circumstances. But here's the question that we learned today. The question is, are you being led or are you escaping? We all think, well, God's not in this because it's hard. That's not true. It's never been true. God leads his people through difficult times. God is going to let it rain on the just and the unjust. It's going to be hard for you. This is not a good sermon. Sorry. Listen. God doesn't promise you all sunny days. He promises to be with you, to never leave you, or to forsake you. He's going to be with you. He's going to provide for you, and he's going to love you. But I'm telling you. So be careful when you equate bad and hard. Is this a hard time, or is it a bad time? In our economy, in this country, in this wealthy country that we live in, things are supposed to be easy and convenient all the time. And when they're not, we feel like things are out of whack sometimes. And we try to seek a circumstance or an environment or a place where life is better. We're always trying to upgrade. Yet it's in that difficult time, that hard time, that that time when you dig in with each other, with your husband or wife or with friends or with a small group or with your church or with a counselor or somebody, where you move through and you get through and you become something you could never have become because you didn't escape. You were led, you stood there, you endured, and God did a great work. You don't ever want to do it again. It's like, I love my grandchildren, but I don't want to raise children again. (laughs) You know? Lisa and I have been through some tough times. Real tough times. And we've wanted to move and leave and start over. And then things couldn't be any worse. Yeah, they can. So the question is this, Elimelech didn't ask, but where's God in all this? Where is God in all this? Where? Where is God? Maybe doing what's right in your own eyes is the only thing you got, but there's another tool as a child of God, as a follower of God, to do something reasonable, and that is to say, God, here I am. This is hard, but what would you like from me? Let me me reach out to you, God. Give me wisdom. Give me provision. Help me. You want me to move to Moab? I'll move to Moab. You want me to stay right here in this hell hole? I'll stay right here. God, I want your will to be done in my life. There's no account of that in this story for Melimelech. He just picked up and moved to a foreign country. And things got worse. He died. The kids died. And there is Naomi with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Here's what it says that happened next. So when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people back in Bethlehem and by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So she had heard, this is a great response. She had heard, it's always good to go back home, that God had done something amazing in Bethlehem. And now there was food and she wanted to go home. She didn't want to be a widow in a foreign country. She wanted to go back home where she had relatives and friends and she was among her people. So she and the daughters-in-law were trying to go. But then she had this second thought. And here's what it says. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, don't come with me. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Like she was saying, listen, if you go with me, you're going to be a foreigner in a foreign land. And I know what that's like, Naomi says. You don't want to come to Bethlehem and do that. You'll never find a husband there. Stay here and find a husband because a husband was your ticket to safety, to food, to resources, right? And you're going to find that in Moab. And, and don't, don't come here. So she really begged them best on their base, best interest. Then she, it goes on to say, and she kissed them goodbye, and they wept because they loved each other. And she said to her, we will go back with you, though, to your people. But Naomi said, return home. She begs them, my daughters, why would you come with me? I don't have any more sons. Don't do this. Well, Orpah leaves. In fact, it's what it says, it says this in <clears throat> the next verse. No, my daughters, it is more better for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. <clears throat> don't come with me. Everybody, listen, this is hard. I want to go through this alone. Don't come with me. The Lord has even turned his back on me. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I have. Where nothing's going your way and nobody's going for you and you feel like God has forsaken you. I don't know if you've ever felt like, why won't God work? Why won't God answer this prayer? Why won't God promote? Why did God let this happen? My husband dies. We were just trying to get a meal. Then my sons die. And I'm left as a widow in a foreign land. Why would a loving God, come on, loving God, come on. Why would a loving God let this happen? And she felt like, I don't know if you've ever I felt the same way why would God let this happen? She didn't understand the full economy of God. She didn't see what tomorrow brings. She's about to experience, I don't want to give the story away, but the goodness of God in an amazing way. And so what I want us to warn us about from this story is we make the wrong conclusions about our circumstances and apply them to God. Just because everything's not going your way doesn't mean God's not with you. God didn't turn his back on you. You're his child. God loves you. He sees you. He's not ignoring you, and he's not too busy for you. He's not at work. He is at work. He's at work right behind the scenes. You just can't see it. you got to trust. you got to have faith that God's character is going to sustain you, that he is not going to leave you, and he's going to see you through. And I know the divorce is hard, and I know the death is hard, and I know bankruptcy is hard, and I know the disease is hard, and I know all those kids are hard. I get it. But God is with you. He has not forsaken you. I don't know if you've ever thrown yourself a real big pity party. I have, man. I had a hat and everything. Man. <laughs> the balloons. <laughs> pity party. You know, feeling sorry for yourself. Listen, when you feel like God has left you, you lose hope. And that's where Naomi was. They lost hope. But look what happened. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah Kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Ruth stayed. And then Ruth, Ruth gives this incredible speech. This is the most famous speech, I think, one of the most famous in the Old Testament. It says, But Ruth said to her, Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. And your people oh, this is amazing. Your people will be my people. And here's the big conversion. And your God will be my God. Your God. See, the God, I think it was the God of the Moabites was Kemesh. And it was a foreign pagan God. It was just a crazy system that they had. And somehow, I don't know how from Naomi, because she was a better woman. But she, she figured out that God is the God of love and God is a provider. And she converted. She said, your God will be my God. Then she goes on to say, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. In other words, even after you die, Naomi, I'm staying with these people in this new place. I'm not coming home. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you from me. Now that's a sort of a noble kind of Um, speech and it's like an amazing, but think about what she had to go through to get to this point. I mean, think about losing her sense of identity. This is a Moabite woman raised all of her life with her people in Moab. And she was this Moabite woman that married this Israelite man in this Israelite family. And through this relationship, she was able to let go of her identity as a Moabite and cling to this new identity as a follower of God completely difficult for us to do. We like our identities. We all find our identities. We want to find ourselves. We want to identify ourselves. In fact, if you don't have a sense of self in your identity, you feel lost in life. But those identities that we cling to, man, they can be traps that keep us from truth. We all have them, you know. We have them from a religious standpoint. You, you you, raised Baptist, Catholic, Episcopalian. Maybe you grew up in a Mormon church, Jehovah's Witness. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. So I'm not a church person. I am a church person. Maybe it's a political affiliation, Democrat, Republican. God, how stupid is that? This is who I am, man. This is who I am. You have all this, you know, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm white, I'm black, I'm Hispanic, I'm Asian, I'm Italian, I'm this, I'm that, the other thing. This is what I, Now you got all these uh, LGBTQ, and so we're going to identify around our sexuality, and this is like, this is who I am? And what happens is, when we identify ourselves in any certain way, this is how we see life. This is the filter, the worldview that we see life of. And everybody that doesn't see life the way I see life, well, they're wrong. Because we find comfort and peace and a sense of safety in our identity, it's crazy. It's what we do. But when you come to follow God, your identity changes. There's a higher calling than whatever calling you've been been following. And the following of God, the calling of His child, the following of Jesus, is so much higher than whatever it is that you grew up in. I'm a Southerner, I'm a northerner. I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. It's just like, oh my God. It's powerful, though, in our life, because it shapes our decisions. It shapes everything, and there's so much division in our country because of our identities, and this is who we are. I watch Fox News. Oh, I watch CNN. Well, you're ugly. Okay, I mean, something happens. <laughs> it's powerful. And we have a very difficult time, especially if there's generations of this going on. <clears throat> there's very difficult time stepping out and finding out for ourselves what's true. And what's real. It's so much easier when we get intellectually lazy and spiritually lazy because things have been handed to us based on our identity. Hey, I've been white most of my life, so I get this. You know, so it's an it's understanding. And so uh, we had a lady uh, come up to me years ago and say, Pastor, I want to get baptized. I said, Man, that's great. She said, Yeah, I've been coming to River Point and. Uh, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again. And I understand baptism as a way to identify with him. And even though I was baptized as a child, I want to get baptized. I said, man, that's a great decision. Let's go. She said, well, I got to wait for my grandmother to die. I said, what? She said, yeah, you know, I come from a long line of Catholics. And if my grandmother found out that I was getting baptized in this Protestant church, but well, she wouldn't be happy. I said, I don't really know how to pray about that. Because <laughs> I really want you to get baptized, but I'm sure Granny's sweet. You know, it's like <laughs> I go, why don't we just get baptized? We won't tell her. But and if she asked me, I'll lie for you. I mean, come on. No, I can't do it. I couldn't do it, man. She's gonna ask me, and I ain't gonna do it. I said, all right. About a year later, she walks up. She goes, I'm ready to get baptized. (laughs) I said, I'm so happy and sad. How's your family? Grandma died? Yeah, she's dead and gone. Let's go. And I go, okay. (laughs) She wasn't going to get baptized as long as grandma's there. I'm telling you. That's how powerful it is. That's how powerful it is. I know what's right. I know what's true. I know what I want to do. I know what God's leading me to do, but I can't this identity and this. And listen, once Catholic, always Catholic. I get it. I've been Irish all my life. So I get it. But when you cling to those identities over your identity as a follower of God, you're in trouble. I'm telling you, you're limited. You're limited. That's why I love our church, man. River Point Mo City, West End, we're such a diverse group of people. It's so great. And I know some black families that have come here that have taken so much flack from their black friends for for not going to a black church. And you say, Well, he's trying. He's trying. But this is what heaven's gonna look like. This is it. This is it. And I love our church because we have people from every background, every walk of life coming here. And I tell people, if you're coming from a traditional black church, Hispanic church, Asian church, or white church, Catholic church, whatever it is, got to give up something to come here. Because giving up something means I'm going to give up my traditions I knew and loved and all that, and I'm going to try to experience new things and grow. And because you're sitting next to somebody that ain't like you, you're going to grow because you're going to learn from them. I don't know why it is, but God always puts in our church a Catholic or a Methodist or Episcopalian right next to a crazy charismatic coming from a black church, you know? (laughs) We say, please don't bring your tamarind in here, but man, okay. And man, the Catholic is feeling like, oh man, this is awkward. And 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 the charismatic... Versus going, what's wrong with them? You know I mean? It's that kind of deal. <laughs> and it's in that community, that tension, where we grow. Because we ask questions if we're safe. We ask questions. We say, tell me about your story. Tell me about your lineage. Tell me about your tradition. Tell me what you believe. And all of a sudden, our world gets bigger, right? See, Ruth was able to do that. Ruth was able to let go of All she knew in her whole life as a Moabite, she left her mother. She left her family. She had a bigger calling and a bigger identity as a follower of Yahweh, God. And it allowed her to have the courage to go into the unknown, a faith to go into the unknown. She said, okay, I've always been a Moabite, but now I'm a follower of God. And my secondary identification as a Moabite woman is, is really not as compelling anymore. You're going to see later in the story, I don't want to give it away for you, how God uses this foreigner in this redemptive story. It's amazing. So I I want you to be free. I know we cling to these ideals and the way we vote and the way we look and all that stuff, because this is the way we are. This is what I am. I just want you to be free to say, no, primarily what you are is a Christ follower. When you come to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, and you want to follow him, you're a child of God. So you don't respond as a Democrat or Republican or African American or Hispanic or whatever it is that you, you love. You, as a follower of God, let me respond in love. Uh, let, me, let me learn from you. Let me be humble. Man, Ruth taught, teaches us all that. In fact, Paul talks about it a lot. Here's what he said. This is such a radical thing for Paul to say. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And then he says this radical thing. There's neither Jew or Gentile. What? The whole society was split between Jew and Gentile. Then he says there's no slave or free. What? Then this really big one, there's neither male or female. I mean, really, following Christ is the biggest women's liberation movement ever. Because, man, he puts us all on equal ground. We're all the same. We're all sinners that need a savior. We all need God. He says, man, we don't look at each other primarily as Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female, but we're one in Christ Jesus. We're, we're together. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're family. I don't like everybody in my family either, <laughs> but we're the family. And because we're family, we can learn from each other and encourage one another. I'm telling you, this is the only way to get rid of racism, is when you understand that your primary identity is Jesus Christ and being a child of his, and we're all the same. And when you start looking at other people as less valuable because of the color of their skin or something like that, because you, that's the way you were raised, you're missing something so amazing that God has for you. <clears throat> but it's easier said than done because we like our identities. We like, you know, we like, we like to fall back into this system that we don't have to think about. This is just the way I am. And Ruth tells us, you don't have to stay that way. You can be free. You can be free. You can rise above and follow God. He'll take you to unknown lands with unknown people and do amazing things in your life. But you've got to walk away from this identity. So I pray, I pray that we can do that. Our, our primary lens that we look through life is our relationship with God and that we're children of his. And that somehow we're all equal and all together, and we can learn from one another. And man, Ruth was such a courageous lady to leave everything she knows, never to come back, and to follow Naomi to a foreign land called Bethlehem. Let's pray together and ask God for the same courage. Father in heaven, we thank you for Ruth. What an amazing lady. And so often, God, we cling to our identities that the world creates for us based on race or the part of geography we grew up in or something else, God. And I just pray that as followers of yours, we can rise above. We can be free to explore. We can ask better questions. We can seek the truth. We can be brave enough to step away from these identities that keep us from discovering you in deeper ways. May we be brave so that we don't just stay put where we are, being satisfied with what we've always known. Give us a new place, a new land, a new idea that's based in your truth. And we pray, God, that you would teach us from one another. If you've never given your life to Christ, boy, I hope you'll do that. Maybe your your identity was, well, I'm not really a church person, or I'm not really a Christian. Maybe you can become a Christ follower. Maybe it's your time to ask for forgiveness. God, forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again, and I want to follow you. Now you have a brand new identity as a child of his. Father, we pray that we'd be that kind of people, that we lead the charge in our communities and around the world, that because of you... We can sit shoulder to shoulder with people much different than us and love one another with the love of Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.